You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pete. I'm the community manager here at church, and I, I love my job. I, I, if you ask me on a Monday what I do for a living, and if you ask me on a Friday, you'll probably get different answers depending on what day of the week it is and, and what I've ended up having to do that week. But I love serving our communities. I love seeing all that what we do as a church in outreach in this community. We, we do some amazing things. And I, I was thinking on this this morning as I was traveling into church, and I, it's just such a blessing, isn't it, to be a part of a church which is alive and active and is known in the local community as, a, as an agent of change. You know, when, when we look out at what we do as a church, we cater for all ages. We have all manner of different things from the very youngest children in, in Hero Factory and Mini Heroes all the way through to Storehouse and everything else in between. And it is such a blessing to see the church alive and active in this town and in, across all the towns that we have church in. Um, today, the message I wanted to share with you guys I'll, I'll confess to start with, when I, when I first wrote this message, it wasn't the message that I'm preaching today. Um, I felt prompted to do something different. And, and, when, and when that was sort of prompted on me, when I felt that, that God was saying, do something different, I started writing. And when I write, I just, I, for some reason, everything just comes out of me. Like just all of the thoughts, all of the thinkings, all of the, the, the ruminations of scripture and everything like that. And I decided, oh, I'll do a, a dry run of this preach just to see like how long it goes, how it sounds out loud, how it, how it feels. And I went up into the middle floor of church um, at 11 o'clock. <laughs> and I, I just, I started and it got to 12.30 an hour and a half later, uh, I came down and Ed just turned to me and went, you've been up there a ridiculously long time. What have you been doing? I went, well, I've just been, I just went through my preach once. And his face just dropped. He was like, once? What do you mean once? I was like, it's an hour and a half long, mate. I don't know what to do. And he was like, oh. he's like, whatever you do, don't tell Ben and Gail because they'll just tell you that you've got to do something different. I was like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. So after a weekend of, of what I could only describe as cutting out but most of the content, we're down to a, a healthy number. Don't worry, we're not leaving here at half two today. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's interesting, isn't it? When God speaks, sometimes we can, we can receive so much. And God, when he, when he reveals things to us, it's amazing to, to see the different lenses and the different angles and the different viewpoints that we can see, thing, see things through. And the message I want to bring today is, is in that sort of realm. It's, a, it's on the story of the Apostle Peter. I'm painfully aware that someone with the name Peter talking about someone called Peter could look like the most vain, horrendous thing. So let's, let's all just agree that from this point on, everything that I share is not about me, but it is about the Apostle Peter. The story of Peter is incredible because it spans all of the Gospels and the book of Acts. And we see Peter in a different light to how we see some people in the Bible. Sometimes, and specifically in the Old Testament, we can see people um, and stories told of people's lives. And they can be born, live, die, accomplish all they've ever wanted in their lives in the space of four verses. And while that's brilliant for someone like me who's got the attention span of a flea to, to be able to go, wow, that person's life. I've read it all. I know everything that's happened to them. It doesn't sometimes give us the, the vision and the viewpoint of what it actually means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus. Because when we only get the short form story, 
we often fill in the blanks with, with glamour and good things and just think, oh, well, nothing bad ever happened to that person. But we don't see that with Peter. In fact, seeing a story that takes its place over many, many years, we can actually see the journey that Peter went on to get to the position of apostleship that he ended up in. Peter didn't start his life as an apostle. He wasn't born into into a role. He wasn't born into, into wealth or grandeur or anything like that. But what he was born into was just a simple, humble life as a fisherman. We, we see at the beginning of the Gospels, we see Jesus meet him and he was working with his dad. And historically at that time, the, the people would live the lives of their fathers in some senses. If you were born into a family of farmers, you'd farm. If you were born into a family of fishermen, you'd be a fisherman. Often sons would take the mantles of their fathers and carry on the traditions that had spanned hundreds of years before that. And Peter's life and the trajectory, we don't meet him as a young, young man. He's not 12, 13, 14 year old. He's, a, he's about the same age as Jesus. And when we meet him around his 30s, he's established his job. He's established his career. He's established what he's going to do. And then everything changes in the moment that he meets Jesus. Jesus turns to him and famously says, come with me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it says in the word that, that Peter then immediately got up and started following Jesus. His life changed in a moment of encounter. After that, he spent his time with Jesus, growing and learning and, and hearing teachings from Jesus as well. And, and what we end up seeing, and, and theologians and historians agree that there were, although all of the disciples were, were followers of Jesus, there was somewhat of an inner circle amongst them of, of Jesus' closest followers. And this was Peter, James, and John. We, we see Peter enjoy a privileged position amongst the disciples. We see him going and learning and seeing the greatest highs in Jesus' ministry and also the hardest moments. He's there at the transfiguration, one of the most glorious moments in all of the Gospels. He's also there in the Garden of Gethsemane where, where Jesus sweats absolute, uh, sweats blood from his body when he's in such worry and such stress about what's about to happen. We see Peter bear witness to amazing miracles, partaking in some of them as well. He spends his time, he goes on this journey with Jesus. But what's beautiful about Peter and what's beautiful about his journey is that even after he met Jesus, even after he encountered Jesus, we get to see elements of his personality still shining through as he's on that journey. We see the good. We see a man devoted to Jesus. We see a man who is he's learning and growing, but we also see a man who makes mistakes. We see a man who gets, I, I think, one of the most stern tellings off in the whole Bible. He turns around to Jesus and says, you're not going to get crucified, Lord. And Jesus turns around and goes, away from me, Satan. You are but a stumbling block to me. Now, bear in mind, if Jesus turned around and said that to you this morning, you'd not know what to do, would you? You'd be like, what? But we see that in Peter. We see that he makes mistakes. He falls short. He responds with violence at Gethsemane, chopping off someone's ear. And then Jesus has to put it back on. Like... I know he's seen the miraculous, but I mean, you're pulling, you're, you're pulling strings there, aren't you? Like saying, oh, it'll be all right if I just do this. But, and then ultimately we see, and it, get, it, takes a, it takes a sour turn though. We see Peter eventually deny Christ three times. A man who's walked with Jesus, spent time with Jesus, bore witness to the awesome power of Christ in this world. And yet he denies Christ three times. We see his failings and his misgivings. And you know what? I think that's beautiful. I think that's so reassuring. Because if we, often what we think is that when we get saved and we feel 
and we, and we fill our lives with Jesus. We think, oh, well, everything's going to change. And, and I've been guilty of this in the past of thinking, well, what on earth is wrong with me since I've received this free salvation and I still make mistakes? But Peter personifies the human journey perfectly in that. After the crucifixion, we see Peter retreat. We see him run back to an old standard of living. We see him go back to the fishing boats and we see him basically flee from all that he's gone into. But this wasn't Jesus' plan for him. What we see in his hiding, in his retreat, in his failing, is that Jesus comes and seeks him out. And we're going to read that passage of scripture today. It's such a beautiful moment. It's such an amazing moment where we see the amazing redemptive qualities of Jesus just manifested perfectly in this moment. Which We find it in the, in the book of 1, chapter 21 from verse 15. And up until this moment, what we see is he's fled. He's gone fishing. Some of the disciples have come with him. And he gets himself in the boat and they, off they go fishing. And they're, they're out all night trying to catch fish. They get nothing. Isn't it true, though, that sometimes when we retreat to an old standard of living that no longer satisfies the, the desires of our heart to be with Jesus, that it just doesn't fill a void, it just doesn't work out the way that we thought it would be? And then Jesus turns up on the shore and turns to, turns to well, shouts to them, I imagine it was over 100 yards away, and just says, cast your net on the other side. And they haul in such a great catch of fish, they come back to the shore and they eat breakfast with Jesus. And, and this is where we pick it up in the scripture. When they finished eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of, God, of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by, by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The redeeming grace of Jesus in this moment is just so brilliant. You have a man that by our standards, if we were looking at suitability to lead the early church, if we had a, a tick box of, of capabilities and, you know, if we went down the interview process and we stood and we, had, and we put Peter in front of us and we went, well, Peter, what do you think qualifies you? We'd probably rattle off a list of things that he's done and say, well, what disqualifies you? And that list would be so much longer. A Christ denier leading the early church, a, a man who's acted with violence recently, an impulsive, reactive man, Aren't you so thankful that Jesus doesn't measure us by our own standards, but instead measures us by a divine standard? Isn't it so good to know? And the beauty of this moment is that Jesus finds him where he's at. Notice that Peter didn't do anything to get to the presence of Jesus. He jumped out of the boat and ran to him, but Jesus was on the shoreline waiting for him. He didn't manufacture this moment. He didn't decide that he was going to go and seek out Jesus, but Jesus found him. And there's such a truth in that for all of us that no matter where we might find ourselves in our journey, no matter where we might find ourselves in life, no matter what disappointment, what sin, what hurt, what heartache comes into our lives, that Jesus is just standing there waiting for us to give us that redemption that he gives so freely and abundantly to his people. After Jesus ascends, 
And that takes place shortly after this moment. And Peter had been redeemed. We see him start to live all of what Jesus had prophesied and declared over him. But it doesn't happen in his own strength. Because by an earthly metric, by an earthly strength, Peter is not a capable man. But it take, when, when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, which takes place in the book of Acts, when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, we see an amazing transformation of, of his outworkings. We see Peter transformed by that very power that still exists to this very day. He experiences that power for the first time at work in him, and it emboldens him to go out into the world and to make such an incredible difference. Acts 2, when they're filled, it reads as this. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that had separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were all gathered together. Some translations, like the King James Version, talks of the fact that they were all gathered together and were in one accord. Isn't it great to know when believers gather in one accord, in one purpose, united together, that the Holy Spirit can abound so powerfully and so amazingly? There's such power dwelling in unity. Then we see the Spirit come in like a rushing wind. You know, when the Spirit of God comes into the room, it doesn't come quietly. It doesn't come gently. It comes in and it changes atmospheres. It can transform viewpoints. It can eradicate feelings. It can do amazing, powerful things, but it never comes quietly. It doesn't, it doesn't sneak up on you and sort of tap you on the shoulder and go, hi, I'm hiding here. No, the, when the presence of God enters the room, it enters like a rushing wind. And all of this took place at Pentecost. And there's an interesting thing about Pentecost is that we celebrate Pentecost Sunday as the coming of the Holy Spirit in the Christian calendar. But Pentecost is a far more ancient tradition. In this time, Pentecost was known as the Feast of Weeks or the First Fruits Festival. It's where they would celebrate the oncoming harvest to God and they would give a portion as an offering to God to bless the rest that was about to come in. Traditionally, in the Jewish belief, it's also the time that the law of Moses was given unto the people. There's an irony almost or a fulfilling irony that the Holy Spirit would choose to come after the, or on the day of Pentecost. You think that the law of Moses was fulfilled on the cross. They entered this, mo this time where they didn't really know what was coming next, but God decided to start a new covenant with them on the, on the same day that the law of Moses came. He started a new covenant, the covenant of the Holy Spirit, the one that we reside in even to this day, even till now. A new Pentecost meant the dawn of a new day for the, for the church. It meant that, that there was new things that were going to happen. It meant that the rule book had changed, that new opportunities would arise, conventions would be shaken to their core, and salvation would be available for people after the Holy Spirit had entered the room. They knew it was coming. In John 14, Jesus prophesied it. In Acts 1, he said it's, the time is approaching. They knew that the Holy Spirit would come in some way, shape, or form, even back to the time of John the Baptist, where John said Jesus will baptize with fire and with spirit. And they were ready for it. They didn't know what was coming. If you asked, if you, if you asked them what they were expecting, they probably wouldn't have been able to articulate. They'd be like, well, I don't know what's coming, but I'm ready for it. They were eager. There's such goodness in an eagerness in their heart, isn't it? And then off the back of that, Peter goes out and preaches. If we read on in Acts 2, that's what we see. We see Peter go out and start professing to the crowd the, the, the gospel message, the, the reason that they can receive salvation is through Jesus alone. 
And traditionally in that time, the idea of someone going out, I mean, we, we understand the concept of someone going onto the street and preaching. We know that you're supposed to cross the road and walk very quickly when they go past, right? You're, none of you, some of you are laughing, some of you are not, but I know you've all done it. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the way it's all transpired, isn't it? It's sad. But the, <laughs> the, the reality was at that time, if you were talking about matters of faith, if you were talking about the scrolls and the scriptures and, and, what was under, and, what, and the understanding behind them, the, the prophets and sages and priests and rabbis of that time, they, what they wouldn't do is get up on a soapbox and start shouting at a crowd. No, they'd gather disciples and followers around them and they'd sit in quiet rooms and debate them quietly. Yet Peter goes out and defies convention. He does this amazing thing where he just gets up and thousands of people come to know God through that moment. But when the Holy Spirit fills you, convention becomes strangely unimportant. There was an urgency in his heart that he knew was, was important that he got that out. And he got up and preached more like a herald, declaring the arrival of a king than a rabbi. His boldness to speak could only have come from the Holy Spirit. I imagine the trepidation he'd have felt as he did it, but just cancelled out by the fact the Holy Spirit prompted him with an urgency to go out and preach the gospel. His boldness continues. As we read through the book of Acts, we see him go and heal someone and we see his actions eventually attract the attention of the Sanhedrin the the council that had petitioned Pilate to crucify Jesus and Peter is brought before that council I can only imagine how scary that would be that the the Christ the Messiah the the man that you had followed and adored for so long had been executed by this same crowd this same group of people and yet the word says that in Acts 4 he he got up and he preached the gospel to even them told them that, they, that Jesus was the cornerstone that they had rejected and that the Jewish people would only find salvation through Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit gave him the, the courage of a lion in that moment. And he preached boldly. And it says in Acts 4, verse 8 to 13, that when, when he, they saw, when the Sanhedrin saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were ordinary, unschooled men. And they were astonished and they took note because these men had been with Jesus. Ordinary, unschooled men. Nothing special about them. But when they were filled with the Spirit of God, when the Holy Spirit came into them, ordinary, unschooled men can do extraordinary things. I think the, the Sanhedrin, the council, I think they were wrong though, in some senses of the word. When they said that it's because they'd been with Jesus, I don't, I don't think that their proximity to Jesus I think that was the foundation on which they, they, they had their belief. But I, I fully believe that the Holy Spirit was the, was the motivator behind them. It was the emboldener. It was the thing that gave them utterance. It was the thing that, that, that encouraged them to speak out. But it's interesting that those looking in will often misdescribe or misinterpret what's happening and try and rule it as something different to fit their own narrative. For these, for these guys, for the council, that would have been almost a political thing of going, this insurgent Jesus that's done all of these nasty things, now look, he's, he's encouraging other people to do it. We've just got to stamp this out. They couldn't handle the idea that the Spirit of God had entered the city and started filling up the hearts of men to the point where they could just boldly go out and profess the truth of the gospel. And we go on and we see Peter's life go further in Acts, we see him do even more amazing things. We see him fulfill the prophecy that Jesus laid over him, that he would be the rock on which the, church, the early church would be built. We see, him, we see the church erupt in this amazing way where we just see churches pop up all over. 
We see people come into faith across the whole region. We see the nation start to fall to, to the presence of the gospel, to the truth of the gospel. And there's a lot, of, there's a lot we can take from Peter. You know, when we ask the question, what does this mean for us? What does, what, does this, what does this story of Peter actually mean for us? Well, what we can see is the humanity of Peter presented all the way through it. A man from humble beginnings. A man who ended up doing amazing things for God when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. A man who, if, he ever left, if he'd never left his life, or if he'd just returned and never gone back to what Jesus had called him into, would have been largely forgotten by the history books. At best a footnote, more likely just another name that, that had been and gone and never been recorded. When he met Jesus, everything changed. And when we meet Jesus, everything can change too. We can receive purpose, direction, mission, focus, joy. All of these things start to fall into place. We see Peter, a man who embraced God's plan and let go of his mistakes and just move into all that God had had for him. And that's a similar decision that we have to make. We have to choose to let go of our mistakes and move into what God has got for us. We have to choose to keep moving, to keep going forward. It's a decision we have to make daily because if we let our own narrative take over, if we let our own voice and our own mindset take place, then we're going to stand still and if not, we're going to retreat. And we see the fruits of his choice manifest in the filling and the emboldenment that only the Holy Spirit could give. And we can receive that same thing too. I want to be sensitive to the amount of time that we've got. So I'm going to, I'm going to move on to just these three points that I want to share so we can get back into worship. And I really feel today that the atmosphere of worship in this room is just something that we need to be pressing into. So my first point is this. It's simply this. It's your past is not your future. It's one, these, this is one of those points that we often see and it, and it usually has like an accompaniment of like, if you've done something really, really bad, or if you've made tons of mistakes, or if, you know, if you've got a criminal past, or you've broken laws, you've spent time in prison, you've had an addiction or something like that, then that past will not define your future. And while I agree with that completely, when we look at the story of Peter, the first part of his past simply isn't that. The first part of Peter's past is it's probably quite a mundane existence, quite a, a normal, quite a, an average existence. You know, he'd have gone to work, he'd have lived a life, he'd have done what, all of what was expected of him. It doesn't say he was a man of bad repute. It doesn't say he was, he was in any way a bad person. So I would, I would suggest that our past is not our future, good or bad, or even average, or whatever we might define it as. The past makes no difference for Peter, and it made no difference, and it makes no difference for us. It doesn't disqualify us, it doesn't, take, it, doesn't dis, it doesn't remove us from anything that God wants us to do, irrespective of how it was. Paul puts it like this in Philippians 3. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself having taken hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love the humility in this, in this scripture. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of this yet. I can, I can imagine, I can attest to the fact that I don't regard myself as having taken hold of this yet. And I imagine many of us in this room probably haven't. If you have, I'd love to hear from you and you can give me some pointers. But <laughs> it's a, it, this is the definition of the human struggle. Now, we will always wrestle with the past. For some people, that's the, the bad past. For some people, that's the good past. I would suggest that rose-tinted glasses can be as dangerous as a criminal past. When we get so locked into what God did in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 
We, we can say, well, God was doing something so powerful back then. God was doing something so mighty back then. Wasn't it just brilliant back then when we had this happening? But don't you see that God's doing a new thing? God's still moving. God's still constant. We, we're not bound by the past, but instead we are unleashed by the future and the promise of what God has got for us. And Peter demonstrates this perfectly in his redemption. What we see in Peter is that when he is redeemed by Jesus, we then don't see any reference of his past. We don't see Peter get up and preach and then proceed to tell the entire audience that were, that were in front of him that he's done X, Y, Z, and A, B, C, that therefore probably should disqualify him, but hey-ho, don't worry about it because this has happened. No, what we see is Peter fully and boldly step out and step away from that past. He moves on. He goes towards the upward call, the higher purpose of Christ Jesus, and decides and makes that decision to do so. And it's the same for us. We can do that. Sometimes, sometimes we're just so locked into the idea of living in our past. We're so locked into the idea of, of saying, well, it's, it's always been that way. It's never, it's never going to change. It's never going to do that. And that's, a, that's an our narrative. That's a personal narrative. It's not the narrative that Jesus declares over us. We feel it's easier, simpler to hold on to it because that's maybe all we've ever known. But Jesus knows better. Notice how when Jesus found Peter, he was coming in the, in the way that that just showed that he knew that what Peter had decided wasn't what he wanted. We see that by the fact that he seeks him out. We see that by the fact that he, he finds him where he's at. And he'll do that to us too. Jesus doesn't require us to fix ourselves before we encounter him. He, he, he says, leave the fixing to me. Let me change your heart. Let me, point you, let me point your way. Let me lead you and guide you. If you try and fix it yourself, I can guarantee that all he will do is make it worse. That's a testimony for me. I'll throw that out there. It's a choice though, isn't it? This is my second point. You have a choice. Peter had a choice when Jesus came and offered him redemption. When he offered to reinstate him, he could have just gone, no, this isn't for me. He could have just said no. And in the same way that we have a choice, we often find ourselves, the, the redemption is always there. Jesus is always there waiting for us to, to receive from him. But more often than not, it's us that stop Jesus from enacting anything in our lives. It's often us going, no, Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go where you're calling me. I don't want to move on from what this is. And we have a choice. And when we make that choice, we'll feel the same liberation that, and the liberty that Peter felt in that moment too. It's interesting to see when, when people truly find redemption in Jesus, when people truly accept Jesus into their lives, often what can happen, and this is really specific in youth ministry, is you'll see young people then turn around and start living their life completely differently. Like a radical change kind of moment. And often why that happens is because people don't realize the weight of what they've been carrying. And when that weight comes off, it's like this light bulb moment of like, oh my goodness, my life can be so much different to what it is. And you see people taking boundless steps towards what God has got called for them. The thing is though, as time goes on and as life goes on, those steps start getting smaller. You know, they start, they turn in, they become more like a little bit of a shuffle. And at some point they may end, even end up standing still. But that's not what Jesus' plan for us has ever was. Jesus has always called us to keep taking leaps and strides for him, to keep charging towards what he's got for us, to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Jesus doesn't say walk, he says run. He says charge towards what you've been called into. But it all boils down to one thing. And we see that one thing as Jesus asking 
one question. Do you love me? Not, do you love me if you do put something massive in the offering bucket? Not, do you love me if you do make a really big grand gesture that shows your adoration to me? Not, do you love me if you do destroy your life as it formerly is and then just start living as a monk in a monastery? Just simply, do you love me? And because of that question, what we know is that when the answer to that question is, yes, Lord, I love you with everything in me. Yes, Lord, I love you. Everything can change. The keys to redemption are not in actions, behaviors, mannerisms, or anything like that. The keys to redemption are only found in your adoration of Jesus. It's the only way to, to, to finding Jesus in our lives is to turn around to Jesus and say, you know what, Lord, I love you, and I surrender these things to you. I give them freely, and I let your, life, I let your light enter my life. There's an old song by Hillsong. It's from like the early 2000s. It's called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And the lyrics to it, there's literally one verse to the whole song, which is great for someone like me to memorize it. But it literally says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his beautiful face. The things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When we truly love Jesus, when we start looking up to, the, to Christ, when we start looking up to God and saying, Lord, I love you, the things of this world that before would so easily consume us, the things of this world that before would so easily distract us and the disappointments that would enter in, they become strangely dim, strangely less important, strangely irrelevant. Why? Because in the light of the glory and grace of Jesus, nothing, nothing can have a hold on us. Finally, we see Jesus tell Peter that because of his redemption, that every time he, he responds with, I love you, Lord, we, we see Peter be told, take care of my lambs, take care of my sheep, take care of my flock. And this represents that upward call of Christ, that shift in thinking. Take your eyes off your own distractions. Take your eyes off these frustrations that you may have and instead focus on what God has called you to, the bigger picture, the bigger purpose. It all comes from an encounter with Jesus. All of this that we pull out, it comes from that encounter moment that Peter has with Jesus. Aren't you thankful that we can still encounter Jesus to this very day? Final point is this. True change comes when you're filled and sealed. When we're filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit, as we see in the story of Peter, we live a truly changed life. I'm going to put that, that passage of Scripture from Acts back up, Acts 2. I'm not going to read it out. I just want it on the background so you guys can, you can skim read it. You can see it as it's there. But up until this moment, the disciples had encountered Jesus. They knew who he was. They had a personal relationship with him. They could testify to the miracles, the signs, the wonders. They'd been there. They'd seen it. They'd got the t-shirt of attendance for it. But up until this point, they'd not been filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit. But as we, watch, as we read the book of Acts, we can see the dramatic change that takes place in each and every one of them. All that stems from this moment in Scripture. Scripture says that tongues of fire came to rest on each of them. And it's commonly agreed that when those tongues of fire landed on them, 
What that was doing was it was a refinement process. When, we, when you use fire in industrial processes, what it does is it takes out the impurities. It takes out the, the bad bits and leaves, just the pure ore or the pure item that you're wanting to, to receive or to, or to produce. And in the disciples at this moment, in the believers at this moment, when that Holy Spirit, when the tongues of fire landed on them, they were refined. It's not like they were made into completely different people. They didn't change their identity or anything like that. But what it did was it it gave them a pure heart. That only desired Jesus. That only desired to, to serve him, to go out into the world and make it known. Paul puts it like this. And you were also, Ephesians 1, 13 for the, the tech team, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked, with him, marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. We can ask the question, what does it mean to be filled and sealed? And we can see the, the amazing difference than it makes in the lives of the apostles, but still be left with so many questions. And I, I thought about this for a while, and I couldn't really articulate the best way to, to, to show it or to explain it. And what, what I did was I, I went online and found this amazing preacher share like this, this amazing example of what it looks like to be filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit. And many of you probably have been wondering, like, is he thirsty? Is he, why has he got two cans on his, on, his, on his desk this whole time? But they're not here for my, for my drinking pleasure. They're here to, to demonstrate what it means to be filled and sealed. See, in, in these two cans, these cans are identical from the same multi-pack, stolen from the Elevate cupboard. No shame. Um, you've got to have some perks, right? Um, <laughs> there's no difference in these vessels as far as the packaging goes. But the difference in them is that one is full and it's sealed. And the other is open and empty. And the vessel that's open and empty... When this vessel comes up into the world, when, this, when, the, when the pressures of this world, when the disappointments and the frustrations that will undoubtedly come when you live in this world start to attack this vessel, notice what happens. When those pressures come, it's just so easily crumpled. It's so easily broken. It's so easily destroyed. Same vessel, but filled with the Holy Spirit. You have no idea where this is going. (laughs) I'm a big guy. Just remember that, okay? No difference in the vessel. But when the same pressures come... When we're filled and when we're sealed... You can put them back, Johnny. Um, When we're filled and when we're sealed... The same pressures can come. The same disappointments can come. The same hurt can come. The same anguish can come. But when we're filled and we're sealed, everything changes. You might be thinking, well, what does that mean for me? Well, I can say to you today that those people that you maybe look up to in their Christian faith and you think, well, I could never lead people like that person. I could never talk about Jesus in my workplace like that person. I could never risk people knowing that I have a faith 
I can tell you today, the only difference between you and that person, the only difference between them is that maybe that that person has said, I want to be filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit today. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.